you give people something to latch their mind onto. One of the challenges always is you have a picture in your head of what you want, but it's not all that easy to create the picture in someone else's head. Mm-hmm. Showing them the work or showing them the results that you've had already makes it so, so much easier for them to just say, yeah, of course we should do that. When someone really wants to move in a direction, ROI is not the first thing on their mind. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. Something that I think that gets overlooked all the time is the fact that every company, person, or product has different goals. And depending on your size, market, or even price point, there will never be a silver bullet solution that will solve everyone's marketing problems all the time. And as marketers, it can be very easy to always be looking over our shoulders to see what others are doing. Because as we all know, some people are especially good at marketing themselves on Twitter and LinkedIn. And blog posts don't help either because that's just someone regurgitating what worked for them. This is why I wanted to bring in my guest today. I've stumbled across his thoughtful comments on LinkedIn, reminding people to take all internet advice with a grain of salt and to avoid getting distracted by other people's goals. My guest today is the director of content marketing at ActiveCampaign and is a writer who has grown multiple side projects to impressive scale. Join me today. I'm speaking with Benjamin Elias. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Super excited to be here. One thing that I, I did a little research and listened to a couple other interviews you've done, and one thing that you mentioned that I kind of want to start the conversation with is your interest in Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> and I'm going to start there just because it's kind of a fun one to, to throw out, oh, pun intended, because it's a weird sport. And I've gotten into it in the last three or four years. So I want to hear how you kind of were introduced to it in the first place. That's great. This is probably the first and only time that I will ever be on a podcast where the first question is about Ultimate Frisbee. And I (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I started playing Ultimate Frisbee in college. I was uh, walking past the Mac field at Grinnell College. And one of the seniors was like, hey, you want to throw? I was like, sure, I'll throw. I can throw. Can I throw? Uh, and I could only sort of throw, but I, I got super into it. Uh, I really appreciated coming from a background where I played like every sport as a kid. I played baseball, soccer, like all of the stuff I ran track in high school. And I appreciated that it is like a athletic sport and intense, but not, but the culture overall is like, yeah, we're going to try to win while on the field, but it's not like cheat to win. Uh, the game is self-officiated and it's a good mix of intensity and playfulness. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of a key point that I'm glad you brought up is the fact that it's probably one of the only competitive sports where there is no referee. It's it's self-policed by both teams as the play is happening. And I want to bring this up because I think it's kind of a cool metaphor for what we're about to talk about with marketing is like there are barriers and best practices about how you should play the game. But at the end of the day, it's always dynamic. It's evolving as like in context to the play and in context, your angle of view and what you're trying to accomplish. And so a little, a little weird Frisbee philosophy for you there, but I think that'll kind of play into our conversation here later. 
we'll get a, a call back in or say, oh, this, what you're going to take this conversation to your boss. And that's just like when you argue a foul on the end zone line and we'll, we'll, we'll pull it back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that I, I'd love to hear your perspective on is kind of the return on investment or ROI of, of, of what content marketing can be. And again, we've had conversations on this podcast about content before, and it's such a, a weird word because it doesn't mean anything, but it means everything <laughs> at the same time. But you've gone from being a content marketer within Active Campaign to now a director. And so you've gone from having to be the person executing and kind of coming up with ideas to now the person strategizing and seeing how those all play into the bigger picture. How has your view of content marketing ROI evolved over the years? It's such a great question. And we spoke a little bit about before we hit record about this. I have some hot takes about ROI. When I came into content marketing, and I think this is still often the case today, I thought of ROI as, okay, this is literally the money you made from a particular blog post, or you can say, this is the amount of traffic you get, this is the amount of leads you get. And even if you can't tie directly a lead back to revenue, you know roughly uh, what your return on a lead is. On average, this is what we make on a marketing qualified lead. And we can say probably the blog is contributing X revenue with our investment. I still think those are valuable numbers in the right context. And it's certainly helpful to be able to look at all of that and say, yeah, we are totally outperforming the like salaries that we pay our people or what we pay freelancers. And that gives us latitude to do other things. At the same time, ROI, I think, is a limited calculation. That's the first thing. And the second thing is a lot of time when people use the acronym ROI, they are not really talking about ROI. It's not their real pain point or the real thing they want to address. Hmm. And can you go deeper on that? I sure can. I can go deeper on both of them, but we'll start there. Yeah. I realized that I would go to clients when I was on the agency side and say, yeah, here's the traffic we got. Here's the leads we got. And this is how much that means to you. And they wouldn't sign new contracts. They wouldn't expand their contracts. They would be like, oh, that's great. Silence. Even early on at Active Campaign, I would put forward a case like this is the approach that we're going to take, and here's the traffic that we'll get from that, and here's the estimated revenue that can come from that. And that got some traction, certainly enough that I could start moving on some things, but it wasn't like earth shattering. It wasn't the thing that moved mountains. And I think that a lot of the time, conversations about ROI get used as a placeholder for buy in. And you can see when people say, like, how do I show ROI for my content? A lot of the time, what they mean is, how do I get buy-in for content marketing? How do I get support or budget or headcount or something else from my boss or from the CEO to invest into content marketing? But you can also look around probably in your own organization and see tons of times where all kinds of stuff happens and there's no consideration for ROI at all. If sometimes an executive wants something and it's just go, 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 do that thing. Sometimes you see a competitor get some press or something like that and you have to rush to cover that uh, gap as well. You can see that when someone really wants to move in a direction, ROI is not the first thing on their mind. So if I get a question like, oh, what's the ROI of this? I know that I've not done my job setting it up as the obvious solution. I know that I'm not totally plugged into what uh, my boss or my boss's boss is looking for because 
the way that I get resources for things is to, to look at the situation, to look at what is keeping my boss up at night, to look at the goals of the business and cross those things together. There are always going to be, and we can go deeper on this too, because I have a whole bunch of thoughts, but there are always going to be things that fall into one category and not the other. They're going to be great things for the business that are not going to be a priority right now. They're going to be things that uh, my boss or the organization is like rushing towards as a fire drill that are not necessarily the biggest thing for the business in a long term, in my perspective. But if I can cross those two things, I'm much more likely to get the resources mm, that yeah. I want. No, that's a great way of looking at it. So, so just kind of to set, let me repeat it back to you. Make sure I got it right. Is people are people, even if they're mm-hmm. in a direct, even if they're in a fancy role, and so they still have their things that they need so that they can enjoy their time off without their head exploding. And then the business has long term goals that have been set by a group of leaders. And so, as long as you can find a way to position your new idea or project or whatever in a way that aligns with that overlap of like the individual making the decision. It aligns with what they perceive their role and everything like that, as well as where the company as a bigger thing is going. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great quote. I think it's actually from Good Omens, uh, which is unusual for me to quote fiction, but it's something like your view of the world will change when you stop viewing people as fundamentally or good or good or bad and start feeling them as fundamentally people. People fall into certain patterns. You can get a sense of, is someone particularly risk averse or how do I take away the risk from the situation? You can get a sense of, uh, this person wants to run in this direction or they have a bias towards this particular type of thing. And just understanding what people want makes it so much easier to give it to them. I, I often phrase this to my team as, how can we give people what they want in a way that also gets us what we want? Right. And looking for those win-win situations is such a such a boon. Do you have any activities or questions or ways that you go about make learning about the decision makers and how you need to do it? I absolutely do. I'm so glad you asked. I think there are a few different pieces. One is managing up or to executives who have a particular way of looking at things sometimes or uh, particular types of challenges. And the other is managing requests that come to you laterally from your own level. I'll start with that one because I think it's the the easier situation. And it's often that this happens for content marketing teams. Jimmy Daly, who of course is brilliant, breaks content marketing into content services and content marketing. He talks about this and we see it in orgs all over that content teams often wind up writing blog posts for product marketing or for PR or getting pulled in on social media, or uh, someone will ask them to do copywriting for a website, which is not usually in the same domain. And that all buckets under content services, things you're doing for other teams internally. Compare that to content marketing, where you are trying to directly contribute value to the business or build an audience. You can, I don't, I'm not super interested in coming up with a definition of content marketing here, but you can tell they're different. It's content marketing is serving the goals of the business and the goals of the customer, whereas content services are serving other people internally. So what do you do if you're trying to run a content marketing operation and someone comes to you with a content service ask? Sometimes you have to give it to them. Sometimes you want to give it to them. Sometimes you don't want to give it to them but you want them to feel like you've given it to them. And sometimes you can't give it to them. As the most common situation is like, oh, this person asked me for a thing. I would love to help this person. I like to be helpful. I like being helpful. And people like when you're helpful. 
I just don't know where this fits into my priorities. And I could say no. And some people, I think, give this advice that you should create a ton of protections around your team and make sure that only the things that come in, that are driving towards your specific goals are what your team is working on. That may be true in some larger organizations, but in smaller organizations, you sometimes have to be a little scrappy. What tends to be much more helpful is to just ask what and how questions until you you get to the underlying, what is this person really looking for? If someone is coming like, oh, can we like publish a guest post on this site? Like, well, what are you hoping to accomplish with that? How how does that reach us, uh, help us reach our goals? I say specifically what and how, because they are almost always gentler than asking why, which can feel sort of like a attack. But approaching that from like real curiosity, what is the problem that this person is experiencing that they came to you to solve? It's not that they want a blog post. They want whatever the blog post is going to get them. When you do that, you don't always solve the situation right away. Sometimes you still will write the blog post for them, but you get a much better understanding of what they want. And it lets you create a situation that you can start to fix it. As an example of this at Active Campaign, we had for a while a ton of people who wanted to write for our website, guest posts, tons of books wanted to write guest posts, partners wanted to write guest posts. Um, they wanted to write them about all kinds of things. Some people wanted to just straight plug their business. Some people wanted to write about how you could use their integration with active campaign. Some wanted to just write about best practices in general and get the link back to their site. And we would feel these questions about like, oh, can you help us edit this? Or can we get this thing up onto the site or load this into WordPress for us? And it was all one-offs. Of course, though, like our partnerships team just wants to have great co-marketing. They want to have good relationships with partners. They want to spread through partner networks and get our content and our website into their email lists. The things that they want are also the things that we want ultimately. But as long as things were being dealt with as one-offs, it just wasn't super easy to uh, make that successful. When the opportunity came, we could we recently actually brought someone on who has a ton of experience getting subject matter experts to write, pulling the insights out of them to create great content. And now we can support that team much better while also serving our traffic trial goals. We can spread through partner networks. Those are usually very highly relevant audiences. And we like took the friction point of us getting asked to do things and turned it into let's both go in the same direction. I think there are more opportunities to do that type of thing than you sometimes think. And it really does take investigating those what and how questions to uncover them. So in that case, you actually, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually hired someone who kind of fit the role because that was coming up enough that it needed a full-time resource? It's not necessarily full-time resource. I think that person is still splitting time. Uh, between that and other content marketing. But we could determine that it wasn't just a content services ask. There's a broader goal behind it. And when we were hiring again, when we knew we needed headcount for something, this this stood out as a, a great, great area to put some resources into. That's super interesting too, that content marketing or writing blog, right? Yeah. Content marketing has kind of come to an age of maturity where now you can actually differentiate what skills you need in certain cases. Mm-hmm. In that case, you needed someone who is good at distilling key insights from, well, I don't know exactly what your process is, but then turning that into just kind of consumable mm-hmm. content that that can live in a bunch of different forms. That's a great call out and something that I think we're going to see more and more of over the next few years 
is a fracturing of content marketing. Content marketing means such different things in different types of organizations. And you could have someone who's a writer, but one writer specializes in search optimized blog posts. One writer specializes in technical content. Another one is more journalistic and covers like the trends and events. Someone else interviews people and pulls insights out of them. And another person ghostwrites. That's five different types of writers, all of which have their place in an organization. And something that that as content, again, adapts to become more in tune with the business model and what individual businesses need, I think you'll see uh, more specialization in some of those areas. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're not interested in going the search optimized route at all, then (laughs) someone who only knows how to do that is going to have a terrible time writing podcast scripts. That was something I had to figure out recently was that, oh, my writing style is very attuned to being read off a screen Mm -hmm. and not great being read vocally. And so I had to remember that I need to read my writing out loud before passing it off to the person who's going to record it because it reads well, but it doesn't sound good. Podcast scripts, video scripts, it's a totally like different area of writing. Yeah. You're just going to see more and more of it. More people are realizing that you need different skill sets to hit different parts of a business. People are also, I think, realizing that you can't really fake subject matter expertise. You you see, this is now like all over LinkedIn and you'll see like, or maybe even more Twitter, like, oh, hire subject matter experts to write subject matter expertise content. So, you know, it's, it's filtered into the mainstream at this point and there are gradations of it, but there's truth to it that there was a point where the prevailing belief seemed to be that you could hire a smart writer and have them put together decent best practices content that would rank and that would you know, bring you ROI, but we're getting to the point where we have to be a little bit more creative as marketers. The channels are a little bit more saturated. There are fewer of them. And at the same time, offline sharing is increasing and communities are getting bigger. So you've gone, you've seen active campaign evolve over your, you've been there over two years, correct? Yeah, almost three years. Nice. And so you've seen it go from a tiny marketing team to kind of a scaled marketing team. You're now in a leadership role where you're actually have people that you're who are executing on your strategy. What, if anything comes to mind, like what did you feel when the company moved away from, or if you, I don't know if you moved away, but a little backstory maybe on when you joined, uh, from what I understand, you were going really hard on long form search optimized content. Mm -hmm. And then how is that strategy fractured or moved on since then? Yeah, there's going to be a tie-in here, I think, to because we we touched on how do you advocate to executives and get buy-in. And we didn't fully explore that path, but I think we're going to come back to it here because the evolution of content at ActiveCampaign sort of is is a little bit the story of that. When I started at ActiveCampaign, the day I started, actually, my, my boss put in his two weeks resignation. So I, I came in and immediately had my feet to the fire. The directive at that point, and I came in as an individual contributor, at maybe 10-ish person marketing team and a 200 person company. The directive at that point was let's let's publish tons of content. Let's write, write, write. Three posts per writer per week is the goal. And I don't super love that approach to content marketing. I think most content marketers would would agree there. Maybe occasionally you see someone who disagrees and you're like, huh, I wonder what businesses you've worked in. But there is a way to make it marginally successful. So with the latitude that I had with that, I have a you know 50-50 search content background from before coming to ActiveCampaign. 
uh, I was able to say, okay, well, we're going to make t- uh, one of these posts like long form, in-depth, researched, search optimized. One of the posts is going to be shorter because of time constraints, but still optimized for a keyword where shorter is like relevant to the intent. And the third one will be medium in quality is, is the totally honest way to approach that. And I did that because I knew that I wouldn't get pushback. Like no one was really going through my work with a fine tooth comb and saying like, not this way, this way. As long as I could hit that, that milestone, uh, I knew we would be able to keep going in that direction. And I knew that if I just published flat three posts a week, we wouldn't get much of anything as a result. With the approach that I took there, we did start to see results. We went from about 8,000 monthly organic visitors to the blog to about 20,000 monthly organic in maybe nine or so months. And with that shift, it becomes easier to see the buy-in. You don't have to go to someone and say, oh, well, we should do it this way because this is what the thought leaders say, or here's what a study not connected to our business says, or here's what I read in a book over the weekend. Like you don't need to make an abstract case or even like do projections. Like, well, if we grow 15% month over month, and then you have to answer questions like, well, where does that number come from? Or why 15%? Or how are you going to do that once we're at X scale? You don't have to answer the nitty gritty questions because you can point at your analytics and say, look, that line is going up. It's going up even though we didn't really do anything in particular and we're not putting the full weight of the resource behind this. Let's put some more resource into this and see what we can really do. When you show momentum, people, both people who can give you resources and other people who just like are around want to get involved in your work. We started to get questions like, oh, how can I get this on the blog? And it's like, well, that's not really what I'm hoping for. But they just heard like, oh, our blog is getting so much more traffic than it used to. I should get involved in that. That's a place where I should be paying attention. And I think that pattern happens. I I sometimes talk to my team this way. I'm like, if you're looking to get buy-in or advance a program and you think it's going to be a tough sell, first do it in a place where you won't get argument. If you want to start a podcast for your company, but you don't have a podcast already, you don't have a podcasting platform set up, distribution's not in place, you'd have to like get do procurement to buy something or like buy a mic, things like that. Like there's setup that you have to do and you have to get approval for those things, but you can publish whatever you want on the blog. Okay, put together your series of posts that you would want to cover in a podcast, publish them on the blog and then say, Hey, look, we did all of this. It was successful here. Let's take this and move it to a podcast medium. Like I always wanted to do from the beginning. So you, you give people something to latch their mind onto. One of the challenges there it always is you have a picture in your head of what you want, but it's not all that easy to create the picture in someone else's head, mm-hmm. showing them the work or showing them the results that you've had already makes it so, so much easier for them to just say, yeah, of course we should do that. Right, right. And it kind of gets away from the idea of everything being net new. Like we need to just, yeah. there needs to be another tab on the website. Like before you yeah. get there, I like that, that theory of like doing the written version of what a podcast could be and then saying, well, we've already got the content. Let's just have someone speak it into a microphone and add an extra layer of like try to, and you could even tie it into some analytics thing there saying like increase time on page or like, and then you can show that having podcasts on your website increases some analytical thing that you're looking at. Yeah, I think, and we'll come back to the arc of active campaign content as well. But a lot of the time, this is sort of a fun analogy. We'll see how it lands. Uh, 
a lot of the time people think that the way to get what you want is to put together your plan, your deck, go into the room and present it. And a lot of the time that is something that happens. I think it happens at different stages for different projects. But really, if you look around at like what is getting resources in your organization, and I would ask anyone listening to think about this, what is getting resources in your organization? Think about that. What tends to happen is half of something is built and then you set it on fire. And now you're like, give me some water, right? It's a much easier sell. Oh, we built half of this. It's almost there. Look at how beautiful the half of it that we have is. It's burning a little bit, but we can put that out if we get a little bit of water and then, you know, some bricks or whatever else we need to, to build the thing. Yeah. There's, there's a time and a place, I think, for the, the like big deck and the big plan. But if you, if you can find a corner that no one is going to argue with you on and start executing there, then afterwards you can say, and here's the approach that we took and why we did it. And here's what would happen if we put more resources into something that's already successful. People want to add to things that are successful. They are risk averse if you present something to them that has never been tried before. So nine months or so, we add on another content writer and we keep working on scaling that organic traffic. We can see the traffic coming in. We can see the leads coming from that and it becomes a no-brainer. Oh yeah, of course we should have more resources here. The traffic is going up 15% every month. We add another head. We keep having success. Six or so months after that, uh, we add three more writers and we now have a team of me managing four writers, three of whom are mostly working on search optimized content, and one of whom uh, also writes some of the customer stories. From June of 2019 to November of 2019, we scaled organic traffic from, I might get the exact numbers wrong, but you can look uh, activecampaign.com slash blog slash how to grow your blog. And you can see we went from 37,000 organic visitors a month to that blog to 119,000. That averaged just about to like 22% month over month growth. Some of those months cracked 30% and some were a little bit lower at like 19. But we really were able to scale that up in a big way with those additional resources. Around that time, we brought in a new CMO, Maria Pergolino, who is very smart, very good marketer. And she made this great point. We're not trying to optimize the blog. We're trying to optimize the business. And we've had success with the blog and that's awesome. It creates this incredible foundation and jumping off point for us. There are so many other areas that the expertise of the content team could be contributing to. And let's put some work in those areas. Uh, those areas have over time included video webinars, social media, community, customer marketing and case studies, automation recipes, which I'll get to in just a moment, a whole bunch of different areas, anything that gets information from one person's head to another person's head. And when you take on that many projects, you better have a way to get some of them done. And that's where we get to, to automation recipes. And, and the, the example of a project that I think can sh really show how momentum increases through an organization. Automation recipes are a piece of the active campaign platform where you can get started in just a few clicks. You import the recipe and it is an automation. It's, oh, this is how I follow up with new subscribers, or this will notify my sales team when a deal stage changes in the CRM, or an integration fires and sends information into active campaign that say someone missed their payment. And then you can follow up with them automatically. Anything that you can do in active campaign, you can automate and build an automation recipe for. Super easy way to get started. They were not all that well 
publicized. We didn't have a great way for people to find them, but we knew that if we could get people to find automation recipes, we would have a high intent audience because they're looking at something that Active Campaign literally does, a problem that we literally solve. And we could start to get more investment throughout all of our marketing and all of our of Active Campaign. Automation recipes should be the way that someone first sets up an automation. They shouldn't start from scratch. They should start from a recipe. And that wasn't the case at the time. There should be recommended recipes in Active Campaign based on who you are and what you've said to us so that you have ideas about how to use this extremely flexible, powerful platform. That's not something that existed at the time. Education teams, when they're going and teaching customers in person, should use automation recipes as the examples that they walk people through. And that wasn't happening at the time either. We could go advocate to those teams individually and say, hey, do this thing for us. And they'd be like, why? They should ask me a lot of what and how questions in that context and figure out what I'm trying to do. I could try to go to them and try to add work to those teams, or we could build this thing that was going to make everyone super excited. So we built the Active Campaign Marketplace, activecampaign.com slash marketplace. It at the time had 250 automation recipes. And now we'll have, by the end of this year, we'll have over 500. And every single recipe in the marketplace has its own page, has its own description. Those are lightly search optimized. They have their own images. We improved the ability to import stuff directly into your account from there. And then we did this huge marketing launch for it. We sent emails to our whole list. We had a blog series. We uh, did like choose your own adventure threads on Twitter, which was something our social media manager came up with. We had a whole bunch of different design webinars, like the the whole nine yards, everything that we could throw at it, we threw at it. And we made it into a cool thing, not just for our customers, where we did, in fact, see ROI on that launch, but internally, everyone can see, wow, this is a successful thing. This is something that people are excited about. I should probably look at how I can use this in my area. So to answer your question about, okay, director level, the buy-in is sort of at a higher level. It's less in the weeds. That's how I think you do it versus going to someone and saying, hey, I need this thing from you, which creates work for other people, doesn't make you a whole bunch of friends, although sometimes you have to do it if you really do need a thing from them in that moment. Make something that's exciting, not just for your customers, but gets you buy-in throughout your entire organization. That's a that's a wicked example. That's Because uh, that's a huge, huge lift. You said like 200 recipe or 50 recipes. That's the tons, <laughs> of, tons of coordination to get that done. The great piece of that is that we had some 200 of them when we initiated the project. We had someone who had just come onto content and had spent the last nine months building recipes, just building, 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 building. Uh, A great example, incidentally, of uh, a place where no one was going to argue that we could have more recipes. But when we had 10 recipes, it wouldn't have made sense to build a marketplace. When we had 150 recipes, suddenly it's like, oh, wow, we should probably build a way for someone to find these things. When you get the buy-in to build the way to find these things, you then hear from product. We just launched today as we're recording, recipe recommendations are live in the Active Campaign platform. If you log in, go to automations, you will get custom recommendations based on this type of your business. And we can start to see the build and momentum as a project becomes successful, more people wanna be part of that success. That's why good. Thanks for going through all that. That's a really useful to hear the evolution too, and to put a real example of 
in the weeds. Here's what it looks like to build a scrappy version to get buy-in. But then, oh, this is going to be a 12-month-long project that's going to involve multiple departments. Here's how you turn a scrappy version into a big, massive launch. (laughs) I've got one last question for you. I think it's going to summarize a little bit about what we talked about. Uh, I liked your point about how content marketing in itself is becoming kind of unbundled and and different roles are becoming more apparent that they should actually be hired for that skill and not just kind of hopefully that person is good at writing recipe cards. (laughs) But what do you think the best content marketing leaders understand about the industry that, that others just might not know? The best content marketers look at how does this affect the business and how am I going to get someone's attention? Those are the two most important questions. You can build stuff that gets people's attention, but if it doesn't tie back to the business, it's not going to work. And what I mean by that is not just can you tie, and this actually would come full circle, not to quite to Ultimate Frisbee, but to my first problem with ROI. What I mean by that is not uh, can I show a way that this contributed revenue to a business, but does this solve the pressing problems that a business faces? A lot of the challenge of ROI is that it's a ratio by definition, return on investment. If I invest $100,000 in something and get $300,000 back, I have 3x ROI, but that doesn't help me if the business needed a billion dollars or a million dollars. ROI is a ratio based on your investment, but it you can say, great, this had positive ROI, but it didn't solve the challenge that the business is facing. It didn't solve the fact that uh, we are, have customers who are churning on a regular basis, or we're not doing well at expanding our existing customers, or we can get people to start a trial, but not to follow through and pay or new customers churn in the first 60 days, whatever the challenge happens to be for your business, you have to start with that. And that's where I think some of the ROI challenges come in. So great content marketing leaders first understand the needs of the business. What's the lever that the business needs pulled? One thing that we see at ActiveCampaign is we have 120,000 customers. It's a high number. It's a high, it requires a high rate of growth to keep uh, adding customers at that rate. If we have a content marketing approach or any marketing approach that's targeting the small high value accounts, we're not going to be able to achieve to the larger goal. Reach has to be a component of our content marketing, even if we are still, you know, making sure, yes, these are MQLs, we're routing them to sales in the right way, like doing all of the backend stuff. If we don't, if we're not able to reach a high number of people, how can we expect to get a high number of customers? We serve small businesses. It's a high volume uh, business by definition. That's the first thing. The second thing is capturing people's attention is difficult and great content marketers know that it's one, it's possible to capture people's attention. It's not attention span of a goldfish. Uh, It's people will pay attention to certain things. You have to make sure that thing is yours. A lot of content marketers think that their customers are thinking about their businesses more than they actually are. You have to think, okay, the customer wants to go watch Netflix at the end of the day. They are going to go play video games. They're going to go read a book you know, hang out with friends, maybe virtually now. There are other things that are competing for their attention. How can you create something that is worth them paying attention to and then make sure that they're that you maintain their attention over time? I think those are the two things that really set apart a, a great content marketing leader. What are the needs of the business and what lever do I need to pull? And then two, how do I make sure that I can get people to pay attention? Back to basics, all about getting that attention and making sure it connects to the, to the goals. Keep your head down and focus on your own stuff. And the third one is that they all play Ultimate Frisbee. 
Exactly. So we brought it full circle. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Benjamin. You can go check out, I mean, you spoke a lot about it. You got to go check out Active Campaign's website now, activecampaign.com slash blog. Benjamin writes a lot on Twitter at Benjamin Elias. And if you want more in-depth writing, he actually does a really great newsletter they sends out. And you can go check that out at masters.substack.com. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you so much for having me.